command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The key word in there today And I'll come back to it in a few minutes because the worship team is going to lead us through one more song here. But the key word in there is remember. And I would invite you right now to take a minute as we prepare to sing another song. I'd like you to remember a dry or a desert time in your life. A place where it kind of felt like maybe God wasn't there. Or you didn't know why you were there. You weren't really sure what was going on. Was it from God? Or wasn't it? And what did I learn from it? Maybe if you're looking back on it. But I just invite you to reflect for a few minutes. As we prepare to hear a little bit more about what these verses mean and how they apply to us. We're going to sing a song called Never Once. Many of you will know it. But as you're singing... Focus backwards, remembering something. Let the Lord speak to you as we sing this next song. I invite you to stand with us as we sing.
about uh, our series, Doomed to Repeat. I've titled today's message, as you can see up there, Using the Past to Safeguard the Future. If there's any way to learn from our past and help kind of guide our present and a little bit plan for our future, uh, today hopefully will give us some insight from God's Word into why that's important and how we do that. Anybody here ever struggle at all with the thought that maybe God orchestrates or puts us through times of trial and testing? Has that ever bugged anybody? Yeah. I mean, I struggle with that concept a lot. Why would a good God put me through dry and desert times? Indeed. Like, why? Like, I don't know that there's necessarily a good answer to the question yet, but maybe by the end of today we'll have a little bit more insight into it. But one of the best ways to learn, of course, how to get through those times is to learn from those who have been through those kinds of times. Of course, we're going to learn about it through the Hebrew people, but one of those individuals I wanted to highlight for you is a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom. Anybody know that name, Corey Tenboom? She wrote a pretty famous book called The Hiding Place. Corey Tenboom was a, a watchmaker. She was the first female certified to be a watchmaker in Holland back in the early part of the 20th century. She and her family helped to save the lives of many Jewish people during World War II by hiding them in her house. Until one day when one of the people masquerading as a Jew went into their house and then ultimately they revealed what the family was doing. Interestingly enough, the family was then hauled away to concentration camps where Corey Tenboom lived for a couple of years, losing her sister in the concentration camps and her father. But interestingly enough, the Gestapo never found where they were hiding the Jews in her house. Uh, it remained a secret until now. We have a museum we can go and look and see what it was all about. But if anybody ever experienced some hard times and going through hard times and trying to understand where God was in the midst of it, it would be Corey Tamboom. This is one of the quotes that she um, writes in her book, The Hiding Place. When a train goes through a tunnel and it goes through and gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineers. Of course, she's talking there about God and going through hard times. Sometimes we don't see the end. We don't see the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. And so that, those are the moments when we need to hold on the tightest. Right now, God is led his people to the edge of the promised land. And if you remember, I told you about Deuteronomy. It's really Moses' declaration, his last uh, pronouncement to the people prior to his own departure from the earth and their entry into the promised land. And Moses is giving this speech, and as he does early on in Deuteronomy, he is now appealing to the last 40-ish years, right? 38-ish, 40 years. And he's saying to them, I want you to remember what you've been through. I want you to know that there was a purpose and a plan for all of it. And I want you to remember what you've been through so that as you move forward, you can trust 
in a good God. That there was a purpose and a plan for it. Remember, the people thought they loved God. God had led them out of Egypt, right? And we're going to learn about that in a couple of weeks. But um, they thought they loved God. But in a lot of times, they really only loved Him when it was convenient for them. Other times, they still relied on their own strength, on their own abilities, on their own understanding. And they didn't really trust God. God knew that. And so God had to lead them into this desert place to help them see who they were in relationship to Him. And ultimately, for them to see who God is in a much deeper way. So, as we start today, I'd like you to think about this. Trials and testing are not our enemies. Sometimes they feel like it, right? But they're not the things that we should be trying to avoid. They're not the things that we should try to run away from. They're not even things that we should try to blame blame God for. In fact, though it's hard, sometimes God sends those very situations into our life to help refine us and teach us. Let's review. I already read these verses, but let's read verses 1 and 2 again to put this in context. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. A couple of key words in those verses, particularly here in verse 2. The word remember, we've already been asked to think about what that means. But then these words, humble and test. God led you to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Moses is saying that God led the Israelites into this desert place in order to reveal what was in their hearts. It was his prerogative to help show them the relationship that he wanted to have with them. And it's not easy. Sometimes when we go through difficult or pressing times, when we're being squeezed, right? When we're being squeezed, maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's physically. We're going through a hard time physically. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's financially. We go through many different ways of feeling squeezed or tested or tried. When we're squeezed, what's really deep inside of us is what comes out. Of course, for the Hebrew people, when they were squeezed, right, what was revealed in their hearts is that they didn't trust God. They felt like they had to take it into their own hands and they tried to go into the promised land without God. And they were soundly defeated. Some were killed and then they were led into the desert because they had disobeyed. It wasn't the right time. You see, when we're squeezed, we know what's really deep down. If I were to hold up an orange for you and I were to put it in a juicer and I squeezed it, what would come out? 
the juice of the orange, right? Because like in the New Testament, Jesus even says, by your fruit, by our fruit we will be known. So when we're squeezed, we can produce good, we can produce trust, we can produce faith and perseverance. That can happen when we're squeezed, but the flip side is also true. true. Sometimes when we're squeezed, what comes out of us is a little bit of complaining, a little bit of grumbling. Sometimes what comes out of us is a little bit of discomfort or disbelief, like, why, God? Like, questioning, right, the, the big whys of life. It's important to understand that God loves us and he puts us through certain seasons to help reveal what we're made of. And so this is the next point that I'd like to focus on today and that is that God tests us to purify our hearts. We all know what testing is all about, don't we? How many of you had a test in school this week? I guess the youth all went downstairs. Oh, no, there's one. We had a test, right? We know what a test is, right? And if you're going to college, you know what testing is all about. You have to write papers, read books, that sort of thing. The FDA, right, the Food and Drug Administration, they test our food to make sure that what we're ingesting is of a certain quality. And we are grateful for that because that's not the case around the world, right? So we know what testing is for. And a lot of times it's to reveal what we know. But in this case, the testing that God often does in our lives is not just to reveal what we know, but it's to reveal who we are. The testing of God is something that reveals our deeper nature, our character. And God really wants us to know who we are in relation to him so that we can deepen that relationship with him because he loves us and he wants nothing more than to be close to us and to have our relationship be close with him. It's not so much in some cases to test our knowledge of him as much as it is to test our commitment and our allegiance to him. But here's where some of us get tripped up a little bit. Some of us label every test as from God and the truth of it is that not every test comes from God. The reality is that some of us are tested by virtue of our own bad choices and our own bad decisions. Those are called consequences, right? There are consequences to bad choices. And the reality is that God's not necessarily in the midst of all of those choices because he gives us the freedom to choose and make decisions, right? There is a part of us, a will inside of us that interacts with God. And sometimes when our will becomes obstinate or stubborn, much like the Hebrew people, we can choose to do some things that aren't necessarily trials and tests of his making, but they're consequences of our own making. And we have to be careful to try and discern the difference, because there is a big difference. But I would encourage you not to necessarily try to discern that difference on your own. That's where community comes in. That's where godly counsel comes in. That's where scripture comes in. There's ways to discern. Is what I'm going through something of my own making? Right? That's not to say that you have to make a perfect choice every time. There's grace involved in this as well. It's not that God's up on the throne and just kind of like make the right choice here. It's not like that, right? God is in relationship with us. 
And he knows our humanity. He knows our frailty. What I'm talking about is that willful, stubborn, obstinate, I'm going to do it my way. That's what I'm talking about. A heart that is set on doing things your way against God. Those kinds of consequences sometimes are just consequences. And sometimes God allows us to go through that, right? That is potentially part of the trial and the test. But the other side of this is also true, and that is sometimes we throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, right? We know we've done some bad things. We know maybe we made some bad choices or something along those lines, but the reality is that God is still on his throne, and he can test us. He can put us through some trials, and so sometimes we misinterpret what's going on in our lives, and that is totally understandable. Again, seek out wisdom, seek out counsel, seek out advice, because we want to know the difference. We want to understand what God is trying to teach us in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our pain. Let's review really quickly verses 3 and 4 here. He humbled you. I mean, that's a, that's a hard phrase all by itself. He humbled you. Now, he's talking to the people of Israel. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, or the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Now, if you're interested and you'd like to know a little bit more about where this comes from, you would go back to Exodus, chapter 16. Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament there. In Exodus, chapter 16, it tells of this experience that the Hebrew people had. They had been led into the desert. It was a dry and barren place. They didn't necessarily have all that they needed, food and water and that sort of thing. And they began to grumble and they began to complain They, in fact, said to Moses, why why don't you just take us back to Egypt? It might actually be better back there, right? They said that on multiple occasions. But you felt this. You you know what it's like to be hungry just a little bit. Not, Not like starving like in other parts of the world where they don't have food for weeks and weeks. But I'm talking like you know what it's like to go from lunch to dinner and miss, I mean, from breakfast to dinner and miss lunch, right? Anybody been there? It's called hangry, right? We, we just we get a little bit like, eh, like I, I don't know what to do with myself because my body's rebelling against me. Well, imagine being in the desert and not having the fridge to go to, right? Imagine not being able to go to the freezer or the microwave or whatever. And they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And they're grumbling. They're like, why did you leave us out here to just die? Good question. So in Exodus 16, God provides for them. And he sends them some meat in the form of little birds. We call it quail or whatever. And, and they could go collect this, this meat and, and also this, this manna, which is kind of a wafer-like, a little bread or, or something along those lines. And it, and it shows up every day, just from nowhere. It's like dew on the, gra- on the ground, wherever they were. Just, it showed up every day. But here's what happened in the story. It's like God said, I want you to collect just enough for the day. I want you to go out and just get enough for you and your family just for that day. And and there'll be more tomorrow. That's all right. I'm going to take care of you. But I just want you to get just enough. And then, uh, before the Sabbath, 
on the day before the Sabbath, I want you to collect enough for two days so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath because I want you to keep my Sabbath. I don't want you working all the time. What's he trying to show? I'll take care of you. You can trust me. You are my people. Now you'd think that's a pretty simple command, isn't it? Anybody think that's pretty simple? Pretty straightforward at least, right? Just pick what you can for the day. There'll be more tomorrow. Pick enough on the, before the Sabbath for two days and there'll be enough after that. You guys, some of you know the story. People couldn't follow that simple command, could they? They went out and they were like, oh my goodness, look at it. Let's take it. We, we gathered all this stuff in. I just want more. How many know that story, right? Like, I see it. I want more, right? Then that's the story of American culture in a lot of ways, right? We just more and more and more. We, we, we're never content, right? And we're always afraid, so we're storing up, we're stocking, all that sort of thing. And the people like in Israel, they were like that too, right? Oh, I see this. I'm starving. Let me take more. Well, what would happen to that food? Some of you know the story. Some... What would happen to that food? They'd wake up the next day and it was rotten. Or it had maggots in it. Ew. Right? Just say ew. Can we just say collect? Ew. Yeah. It's ew. But it was just a simple command they couldn't keep. Caused them to hunger, but then he fed them with something they had never known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus actually quoted that, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quotes, because he's being tested. And the devil came to him, so Jesus is out in the desert, and Jesus is coming off this long fast. And some say he was pretty hungry. I've actually fasted for a long time, and, and hunger actually leaves you after about three or four days. But to say that you're a little weak, you're a little tired, like, yeah, after 39 or 40 days, Jesus needed a little bit of food. And the devil comes to him and he says, just turn that stone into bread. Almost the idea of, like, you did it once for your people. You provided for them in the desert. Why don't you go ahead and just do that thing again? But Jesus, knowing what the test was for the Hebrew people, the test was, do I trust my Father? Do I rely on Him? Jesus, knowing that, now quotes from Deuteronomy. And He says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because Jesus knew what the test was for. Jesus knew that, yeah, he could have turned that stone into bread, but that wasn't the point. The point was, do I trust my Father to provide for me? Jesus, setting the record straight. Declaring, his full allegiance to God. And it kind of begs a question for us this morning is, do I fully trust God? In this land we call America, in this land of abundance, and that's not to say it's shared equally or everybody has everything they want, but in America there are way less suffering people than there are around the world. 
Sometimes we're tempted to just take care of ourselves. And in taking care of ourselves, not that that's terrible, but we lose sight of what it's like to really trust in God. We lose sight of God's care and love and protection for us. So, maybe flip the question around and say, in what ways have I not fully trusted in God? We can't leave this section without dealing with this particular verse. And this is a little bit more difficult. Verse 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. How many of you have a struggle with that verse? Discipline, many of us hear it through the lens of Scott Frederick Siddig, get over here right now. You are in deep water. Some of us can play those tapes in our own heads, right? The, the full name, the middle name comes out and you know thing, you're in trouble. Because discipline to us sounds an awful lot like punishment. Discipline in some cases is punishment, but that's not what this necessarily is referring to. And we have to be cautious to open up our minds and our ears to hear what God is saying through these verses. The Lord your God disciplines you. So, what is biblical discipline? It's not just punishment. God is not punishing His people in that sense. Discipline in this particular sense Sometimes it involves hardship. But we need to think about it more in the context of what we do physically, right? When we exercise, we discipline our bodies to grow them and become better, right? It's an aspect of training. It's an aspect of development. It's an aspect of refinement or growth. Something that makes us better people. And that's the idea behind biblical discipline. We read about it in other parts of Scripture. So let's just review a couple of them. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. God is with us. God loves us. God is trying to make us into his sons and daughters, the disciples of his own son, Jesus Christ. Or Psalm 94.12, Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. We're blessed when we go through these experiences. Or Hebrews 12.5 and 11. Let's read these together. This is in the New Testament, of course. And you have completely forgotten this word, and have you, completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Sounds a little bit like Proverbs, right? 
endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Wayward ones, I would say. Crazy ones. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? And on that point, I just want to stop real briefly and say we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. That might have been true in this day, but I know for a fact that's not true today. We have people I know right in our congregation who work for Child Protective Services, and we know that there are significant cases of abuse that happen in our homes, in our communities, injustice that happens to little ones, that destroys them, that ruins them for life. So I don't want to just make light and skip over this particular phrase and just assume that that's everybody's experience. I know that's not everybody's experience, but I want to understand it for what God is trying to, the point that God is trying to make, because God is a good father, and God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. God doesn't do anything capriciously. God doesn't do anything to hurt his children. He's refining us, growing us, teaching us, training us. And so if you struggle with this phrase, we want to also bring it back into the context of a good father. What would a good father do? Teach and train his children. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And then this key phrase, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Right? We say amen to that? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What do we learn from these verses? First of all, we learn that um, discipline, godly, biblical discipline, reveals three things to us. One is it reveals love, the second is training, and the third is our family connection. The first one is it's a sign of God's love. It says in Proverbs and in the beginning of the verses we read in Hebrews that we are to endure discipline as a sign that God loves us like a father. Discipline, healthy, biblical training and discipline. Training us to be in a trusting relationship with God is evidence of his love for us. And then, of course, it reveals the training aspect of that. I've just used that word a couple of different times. Biblical discipline is about training us to grow in relationship and to become more holy and more like God. And then third, it reveals our family connection, which we read in our verses in Deuteronomy. We read in these verses in Hebrews. What children are not disciplined by their father? God cares about us enough to want to shape us and mold us and make us into the people he wants to be. That's what he was doing with his people as he led them through the desert with shaping and trying them, refining them, revealing what was really in their hearts. So, what are some methods God uses for biblical discipline? Here's just a a short list. 
You can look up the Scriptures. God uses Scripture, right? We read that in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training. Right? That's the idea. God, when you open up God's Word and you read what's in there, God will sometimes bring verses and, and the Holy Spirit will bring verses to, to mind to convict you. My son's not in here, but I'll just share a quick story. The other night we were sitting around and we had a little last-minute devotions before they went to bed. And I was trying to explain how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so I said, you know, just take a minute and just, just kind of, let's just be quiet and let's just listen, which is really hard for him to do. So let's just listen. And he's like, you know, I just can't get this verse out of my head. It's like, oh, what verse is that? He quoted the verse. He's like, yeah, I really struggle with that. I was like, cool. Thank you, God. I said, Gavin, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That scripture came to your mind in that moment when you were asking for him to speak to you to clarify ways that we need to be forgiven. That was the subject we were on. Is what are some things we need to be forgiven for? It was profound. Just that little moment of his openness to listening and that scripture that was brought to his attention. I didn't say it. It wasn't even on my mind. But it came to his heart and it convicted him. The Holy Spirit at work. So scripture, grace. Grace. God's goodness. His grace in our lives is sometimes used to train us. That's His goodness. His grace being used to train us. You can find that in Titus in 2, verses 11 and 12. Sometimes He gives us instructive experiences. That's what we're learning a little bit about today. Kind of remembering the, the things that we've been through. The trials, the desert times, the trials that we go through that it feels like God's so distant those become instructive experiences. And sometimes there are painful experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about Paul receiving a thorn in the flesh. He couldn't quite understand why God would send him this thing that kind of kept him humble and just didn't allow him to totally experience joy all the time because he had this pain or physical limitation. We don't know what it was. But sometimes he sends those painful experiences to discipline or train us. And yes, indeed, there is this idea that sometimes there is punishment or consequence. And sometimes that is really wrapped up with a really hard heart. A really obstinate and stubborn heart. But God, it says in the verses that we read, he chastens those that he loves. He loves us because he doesn't want to lose us. It's hard to see him in that light. What are the goals? We talk about discipline. What are some of the goals for godly discipline? One is I think we have to understand this idea of respectful submission. What does it mean to be in this trusting relationship with God, respectfully submitting ourselves to God? What is that all about? Well, that's one of the goals of godly discipline. That's why he was leading the people through this desert wasteland for 38 years after Mount Sinai. That's why they were stuck in this endless loop for a while. 
Because he wanted them to surrender and to submit. Remember it says, to test what was in your heart to know you. It's for our good, right? Ultimately, it says in those verses in Hebrews that he does it for our good. It's for our spiritual growth. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness. It's for our spiritual growth. And then ultimately, in the verses in 2 Corinthians 4, it's about preparation for heaven. There is working out in us something for eternal glory. We want to be together with Him in eternity. So those are the goals that we have in godly discipline. Here's just really quickly something that you can think about. Seven things I can do if I feel I'm currently being tested. Going back to early in the message, I said not all tests are equally made, right? Some tests are of our own choosing and we need sometimes to just figure out what the difference is. So the first thing on that list is to seek some professional advice, some counsel. Maybe it's professional counseling or spiritual counseling or maybe it's getting together with a group of trusted friends and pouring over the scriptures and trying to figure out is what I'm going through, is, is my heart hard? Am I struggling? Or is God really putting this on my heart? Or is this a time that I need to really be learning something? Don't bury the emotional pain one of the challenges that we all face is we hide, we put these masks up and I don't want anybody to see what I'm really going through so I put on this smiley face and everything is really hunky-dory in my life, how are you today? I'm good, how are you doing today? It's great, oh, how was your week? Oh, it's fantastic, I had a great week and how are your kids? Oh, they're doing wonderful and it's all platitudes, right? It's all just it means nothing because what's really down in here is ache, and hurt, and pain, sadness. It's hard. So we got to be careful not to bury that emotional pain. And we also, those of us who are in an okay space, also have to be willing to bear that pain with others. We call that in church ease, lament. And sometimes we need to lament with each other. We need to bear the pain of other people. So don't bury your emotional pain. Ask the Lord for clarity. We need somebody to help clarify. Maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's your own experience. Maybe it's prayer. Pray for peace and perseverance. Sometimes you just got to hold on. You don't know when the end is coming. You don't know when that desert time or dry time is going to be over. Just hold on. We've talked about that before. Reach beyond the break and hold on. Read your Bible, journal, write it down. It's so important for later on when you come through a trial and a circumstance to have in your journal a place where you can go back and reflect and say, this is what I was going through then. And this is how God was with me. That's why we have the Bible in a lot of cases. That's why we have the Old Testament. It shows us how God was with His people. It shows us how God cared for His people through these dry and desert times. Last and not least, we hold on, right? We hold on. It's tough. Sometimes our dry, desert places, they're difficult. Sometimes it's really hard. And all you can do is hold on. 
Just remember, in the midst of those deep and dark times, God is with us. God is with you. And it's important. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and prepare. Always remember where you came from. Always remember. The Old Testament serves for us as a history lesson on how God was with his people. It teaches us a lot about the nature of God and who God is. It was written down for our benefit and our purpose. Because we want to live into who God is. Sometimes when our backs are against the wall, that's the best time to live into growing in our relationship with God. We all know, we've all experienced, I think, when times are good, life is good, life is okay. Hopefully some of us have had those times in life where life is just kind of flowing. Not a lot of up and down, not a lot of bad, whatever, but life is just kind of flowing. We don't press in to reading the scripture quite as much. Like, ah, it's okay, I feel good today, I'll get to it tomorrow. We don't pray. We don't fast. Like, we, who wants to fast when things are going good and we got a party to go to and all that kind of stuff? We don't do the things when things are good. We don't do the things that actually deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God and understanding who He is. And so why do we have these hard times, these trials, these circumstances? Because they're the ones that press us deeper. They're the ones that make us grow. They're the ones that help us understand who God is. Thriving, healthy, godly relationships with God, they're doing that stuff consistently. It's called spiritual discipline. Those are the ones that have a relationship that know that our circumstances and what's around us don't dictate how we relate to God. My relationship with God is based upon my communication with God. It's based upon my sense of just being one with God. And so I discipline myself to be in a consistent relationship. That way, no matter whether I'm high, whether I'm low, I'm with God. It doesn't matter what happens around me. God's going to sustain me through it. Here's a closing thought for you from back to Corey Tenboom. I really liked this quote, and I think it closes us out today really well. Memories are the key not to the past but to the future. I know that the experiences of our lives, when we let God use them, become the mysterious and perfect preparation for the work He will give us to do. Heavenly Father, as we close out our time today, teaching, of learning. Lord, I pray that you're bringing to each and every person here a thought or a memory or a time when they've really questioned their relationship with you. Maybe it's a season that they're in right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reach down into the depths of who we are today and take hold of that moment And tell each and every person in their heart how much you love them, how much you're with them, 
and how much this season is for their good. Lord, may we grow in our trust, in our faith, in our courage to call you good no matter what we feel. Lord, may we share that boldly. And for those of us who are not in that moment right now, Lord, I pray that we will remember when we were so that we can walk alongside others. We gather in these places, this place in particular, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to bear each other's burdens, and to walk together. And so today, Lord, I just invite you, by the power of your Spirit, to minister to us as we sing some declarations back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier in the service, we're going to sing some songs at this point in our service. And the idea is that as we are reflecting that we now sing back to God from a place of thanksgiving, from a place of gratitude, and that worship will rise up within us, again, maybe not because we feel it, but because He's good, and He's worthy, and it's the right thing to do. So, take some time, whether it's through this first song or over the course of the next two songs, to just find yourself and your rhythm and your relationship with God And let's sing these declarations to him because he's good. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and sing.